Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, January 4th. The number of Canadians living with dementia expected to reach 1.7 million by 2050. We discuss the state of treatment and research with Dr. George Andrews, President and CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Alberta and Northwest Territories during this National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. What changes are coming to the federal taxes we pay in 2024 and how will Canadians be impacted? For some answers, we chatted with Daniel Rogozinski, Master of Accounting Co-Director in the School of Accounting and Finance at the University of Waterloo. And making your mental health a priority in 2024 could be the first step to a successful and prosperous new year. We check in with Karen Gallagher-Burt, mental health advocate and social worker, to help get us on the right track with our finances after the holidays. What supports are available for those people living with dementia and what are the treatments that are available these days? Joining us to talk about it as we are underway with National Alzheimer's Awareness Month is Dr. George Andrews, President and CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Alberta and Northwest Territories. Good morning to you, Dr. Andrews. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. It's my pleasure, and I appreciate your interest in this important subject. Always. I mean, if you don't know somebody within your own family, you certainly know a friend or uh, you know somebody else who's who's got a loved one who's suffering from Alzheimer's. So uh, why is it important that we have, for example, a National Alzheimer's Awareness Month? What is it about this month that, that's very important for you? Well, I think there's a couple of uh, different points that come into focus under a month that's identified for a particular cause. And in this case, obviously, Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's awareness is actually a catchment for um, dementia awareness. So there are, in broad strokes, uh, broad strokes, about six different kinds of dementias, and, largely, and Alzheimer's is the largest one, and it captures all of them. But it's important to bring it, uh, attention to this for a variety of reasons. One is that it has huge implications on people, uh, individuals, and families and quality of life, as you mentioned. We just want everybody knows someone who's been impacted directly and directly. In fact, our research indicates in Alberta, one person in three is directly or indirectly impacted by this disease. The other thing is that um, as our population is aging, it becomes a bigger, bigger impact on those individuals as well. And in fact, we're expecting in the next generation or by 2020 or 2050 that we'll be looking in Alberta alone about a 300% increase in the number of people who are living with a dementia diagnosis. And of course, the related impacts on their families and the healthcare system. Those are uh, big numbers. Yeah, nationally, we're at about 600,000 right now today, and we're expecting that to increase by. 350 people per day. Wow. Talk a little bit, you just mentioned it, but you know, the effect of, of Alzheimer's, we're talking about that specifically, um, on the healthcare system. Well, as you can imagine, well, let me put it into different different framework. We know that most people prefer to um, live with the, these kinds of illnesses at home and in, in a safe environment. And many of them rely on family members or informal care partners to help them go through the, their day-to-day lives. And in Alberta alone, from the, 20, the results from 2020 in our study indicates that there was about 40 million hours of unpaid uh, uh, informal care providers just supporting people who are currently living with a diagnosis. Now, to put that in a different kind of context, that's the equivalent of 23,000 healthcare aides. So if all of those people were... Um, it descended into the healthcare system at once, it would be a tsunami um, that would make the, the impact on the healthcare system from COVID pale in comparison. 
Wow. Where are we, doctor, with treatments, uh, you know, that are available and effective at this point to address Alzheimer's? So we're sad to say we don't have a great um, inventory of treatments directly. So there are, uh, the drug companies are working on a variety of different things. And there's this, a group of uh, approved medications in Canada and, and that are used generally around the world called uh, uh, cholinesterase which uh, and I deliberately stumbled over that so that people could try and repeat that if they're talking to their, <laughs> their healthcare part, uh, practitioner. But really, those are inhibitors to uh, treat symptoms only. And um, there's for some people, they don't work at all. And some people, uh, they have very minor uh, improvements. And really what it does is, if you think of the progression of this disease as a, a, a flat, slope like a 45 degree negative incline slope on progression these uh, the best case scenarios with these drug treatments is that they will round the curve a bit so you'll end in the same place but you won't get there quite as fast mm -hmm. but as i said the results are mixed there are some uh groups of drugs that have been approved for further study in canada and in the united states and in, in europe um that are largely called, you know, uh, like a medimab. Um, and I don't know why they make these things so difficult to say. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but um, the results are mixed. And researchers um, have not really come out on one side and the other. Generally speaking, many of these drugs, um, if you're using them as your first line of defense, they work uh, sporadically. In some cases, the side effects are worse than the disease and um, could be fatal. And um, in other cases, they, um, they report no difference at all. So it, it's difficult to say. Now, we do know from our research that if we can defer the onset of symptoms, not only can we improve people's quality of life, we can deflect the cost of the healthcare system. And, by, and, and so that is generally understood. And it's interesting in that... Um, if you reflect a little bit, it makes sense. So we know that the largest indicator of this disease and progression of the disease is uh, generally aging. And as people in North America have improved on exercise and food and medicine and, and medical treatment, we've extended our lifespan. So naturally, we can expect this disease to you know ident be identified more. Um, but we also know that there are um, several things we can take it that makes sense. So. Managing blood pressure, managing weight, and cholesterol, um, stress, and things along those lines help to slow down the, it doesn't stop the disease, but it helps to slow down the uh, presentation of these symptoms. But the other thing that's come out um, in recent studies in, in North America, and then again in Europe, is that having a sense of purpose, being connected to society, um, having a social network, all these things make people feel um, better and connected and it seems to be uh, just slowing down the progression of these symptoms and so there is a direct correlation for example if people have hearing impairments and they do not get um, hearing aids then they become isolated and withdraw mm -hmm. and they don't participate in their communities and as a consequence their um, these, these symptoms tend to manifest themselves sooner uh, we know that uh, people who um, who are depressed have you know clinical depression and long-term depression and they're isolated those tend to feed on each other and then that health tends to bring these symptoms on and so where we're seeing some great um, 
I guess, um, movement is trying to keep people engaged in community and family, make them feel that they have a sense of purpose, make them feel that they're, um, that they have a reason to be uh, paying attention and, and, and being thoughtful. And so many of the uh, treatments that, um, that are being involved are having people go to day programs or, or be involved in clubs or making sure that they, um, they have a social network. Simple things, but they've had impact. So it's more about the stimulation than just doing things to, you know, to get your brain going, like a Sudoku puzzle, for example. It's about the stimulation of being around people and, and you know, feeling and emotions and all of that, correct? Uh, that, yes, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, intellectual challenge, it, it doesn't have its role to play either. So, so long as people, you know, it, it, it's a, the brain is a muscle and mm-hmm. you need to exercise it. Right. And so, um, and, that, and there's, you do that in a variety of ways. So Sudoku could be a way to do it, continuing to take courses, having hobbies, from pottery to finishing your master's and your doctorate. All of those things, uh, if they're available to you and you're inclined to do that, will challenge your brain as a muscle and has an impact. But I would say the number one thing for, for me and my observations and my personal experiences working with family members who've uh, had this disease is to make them feel that they're connected and they have, you know, they have a reason to interact with others. Is it uh, just Alzheimer? Sorry, I'm looking online trying to make sure I have the right, right website to send people. Alzheimer.ca, is that the best place to send people to get some information to perhaps, you know, find no new supports or services that are available as well? So that, that's the national uh, website, so Alzheimer's.ca. Um, they're in Alberta. We also have, so you can go, you can reach us through the National Association or you can contact us directly in Alberta and it's uh, uh, alzheimers.ab.ca. Okay. And so we have online processes. So the one thing I, I want to emphasize over everything is that uh, every year we receive about 18,000 referrals uh, from healthcare practitioners, doctors, pharmacists, and things like that. There's practitioners. But about half of our referrals are direct, so people who come to us directly. Our experience has been that the people who come to us directly typically come to us 11 months after they've been diagnosed. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But the bigger issue for us is that that's almost a whole year of not being able to uh, provide support and guidance to them, them and their families. And so it's important for people to feel comfortable reaching out to us. And I think. Some of our statistics indicate that there's still a, a stigma associated with cognitive impairment illnesses. There is a lack of understanding in some corners of our community. So if you see someone at Safeway, for example, that is having some challenges figuring out how, uh, why they're buying something or or uh, how to manage their change or, or making their remember their PIN number on their card, that is not something to laugh about and make fun of a person. That, person is struggling mm-hmm. and so you really need to be a little more thoughtful about about those people in those circumstances because it can be anyone absolutely and and then of course if a person feels um, some level of stigma or some level of reservation about being out in the community and then they're made fun of then they just become more and more isolated and I think it's a question of making sure that people understand that uh, if you're working with someone or you think you have an interaction with someone that that seems to have some kind of cognitive impairment, don't argue or disagree with them or tell them they're right or, or whichever. Um, 
deflect them, try to be supportive and helpful. And then that helps people get through that small moment of crisis and makes us better people, I think, in general. Agree with you. Wonderful advice. And again, we'll send people to alzheimer.ab.ca. It is National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Dr. George Andrews, President and CEO of Alzheimer's Society of Alberta and Northwest Territories. Taxes and death, the two certainties in life. And in 2024, we can expect some changes to one of those things. Hint, it's taxes. Uh, What are the changes coming to taxes in 2024? How will you and your household be impacted? Joining us to talk about it is Daniel Rogozinski, who's a Master of Accounting co-director in the School of Accounting and Finance at the University of Waterloo. Good morning, Daniel. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Uh, Good, thank you. Now, we're glad it's not the death part that's changing in 2024. (laughs) We'll we'll go with changes to the federal taxes. What are we expecting to happen in in this new year? So for 2024, it really is a quiet year in terms of, um, you know, taxation changes for individuals like you and me. Normally what happens every year on January 1st, they index the, you know, personal tax credits and brackets and deductions. A lot of those are indexed, which means basically last year's levels where you can earn a certain amount of income and pay a certain amount of tax, they get adjusted up automatically on January 1st by 4.7% this year. I like to say that means you can make 4.7% more income this year and pay no more tax. So that's a good thing, but obviously the reason they do that is because inflation's out there and mm-hmm. you need more money to live. So that's sort of an automatic process. So. Um, other than that, some small changes here and there, but they really spent a lot of time for 2024 dealing with a lot of what they call aggressive tax planning changes that, that uh, I suspect a couple of those elements will come through uh, in terms of what you want to follow up in terms of questions. Okay, yeah, let's talk about those. Which ones do you think will most be impactful for us? Well, the, the one that I, you know, that's, I like to call it that sneaks up on you is if, if you're, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old and you have um, either children that you have, you've signed, um, you know, co-signed a mortgage for, uh, so you're on, you're on title for their home, or if you're, uh, you know, your parents are aging and you're, and you're looking at what's going to happen when they uh, pass on and you go on title to their home to basically reduce or eliminate um, probate fees and things like that, which a lot of people do because it's good tax planning and good, uh, you know, good family planning, you know, the only challenge is now what happened is starting in 2024 for the 2023 year, um, you're going to be caught up with, with these new rules which require you, that's what you've effectively done is sort of innocently created a bare trust. And what that means is now starting in 2024 by the end of March, you should go see your accountant and or your lawyer and talk about this because you might have to file what they call a T3 tax return uh, every year from now on. And what you have to do is report to CRA on this, the existence of this relationship, even though there's really nothing's changed. And you know, this might have been in place for many years and uh, you're stuck having to file these returns. So you probably have to pay an accountant $1,000 to file these returns and you have, have to talk to your lawyer. And so it's just a lot of, I find it just a lot of administration required for really not going to get us any more taxes in Canada. But it's just one of those things that sneak up on you. And if you don't, uh, if you don't do it, you're potentially liable for a, f- a penalty of $2,500 a year for not filing these forms. Yikes. So, I mean, is that is that an attempt to, to close a loophole? Because I would imagine there are lots of parents out there who are doing that, especially in this day and age where kids can't really afford their own home, so maybe co-signing the, the mortgage. Why are they after this bracket? 
Yeah, I mean, they've been they've been talking about doing this for years, so and they kept putting it off because a lot of people like us, like myself, complaining and saying it's going to it's going to scoop, you know, kind of bring in a lot of different people who just have not. It's not tax avoidance or anything like that. It's just basically good family planning, but it really it ties into this whole aggressive tax planning. And, and if you read into you know what the government's been doing the last couple of years and a lot of the major changes for large corporations and really wealthy people for 2024 are revolving around they want to stop people from cheating more and more, right? Because that's bad bad for tax policy. It looks makes the government look bad. So this is one of those changes that, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that these trusts, you know, the transparency ideas, we're supposed to give them a bunch of information. They're going to put it into their large data models and see if there's people who are paying taxes that shouldn't be. So, um, you know, it makes sense in terms of what they're trying to do from a policy. It's just, it's a really, really cumbersome administrative and 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 be, be honest with you a time-consuming wasteful process for the vast majority of people who aren't trying to avoid taxes right. they're just trying to do good family planning how about uh, old age security will that be affected in 2024 in any way yeah what happens is again that's just simply uh, everything's just being indexed so if you're you know if you're collecting old age security that's going to increase by inflation effectively so you'll see your check go up and Similarly, you know, if, if you're, um, you know, if you're subject to this old age security clawback on your personal tax return, those, all those things are getting indexed. So, no, no real major change on that front. I think the big change that that I would talk about is is the CPPs change, um, and changing in terms of the contributions you have to make. Um, every year, there's there's a, an increase since 2019. We've all had to pay in about roughly $100 more if you make more than $68,000. You'd have to kick in another hundred bucks. Um, just because they want to increase the uh, the retirement uh, income for people who are going to retire in the future. Now, this doesn't change for people who are retired now. It's more for people in the future who are going to kind of retire in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, which is great for you in the future, but you still got to pay for it now, which yeah. is, you know, sort of... Uh, Never, never great when we have an inflationary environment. We have the the piece that's really new again for 2024 is we have this second enhancement. Which, if you make between 68 and 73 thousand dollars a year, you're going to have to kick in another roughly 200 dollars. So, so if you're making more than 73 thousand dollars a year, you're looking at paying another 300 bucks this year for your Canada Pension Plan contributions, which is going to help you many years from now, but doesn't help you now when you're dealing with inflation and all the costs going up uh, along the way, right? Any other highlights that you you want to point out? Any big changes coming in 2024 that could affect many of us? Yeah, so the other one that I would mention that is is if you you sell a second property or if you're selling shares and you're making a significant amount of money, um, there's these changes in the alternative minimum tax that, that again, um, won't affect most people. It'll only affect people making more than $173,000, which, which you know, obviously over time that's increasing uh, with inflation. Uh, you have to be aware of that you know you might think that you're not you're not going to owe any tax that year because you're taking advantage of your principal, uh, so your capital gains uh, inclusion rates or your uh, business capital gains deductions. Uh, the problem is they have this alternative minimum tax, or if you're making large charitable contributions, all those three things and and a couple other technical items may cause you to have to pay this, what they call this alternative minimum tax. Uh, and for the last 40 years it's been there, you you wouldn't get caught. But again, they're trying to make sure that, you know, politically speaking, you know, if you're making a lot of money and paying no tax, it really makes the government look bad and, and makes people think, hey, is this really fair? So what they've done is introduced more changes to this alternative minimum tax, which will cause you know, people making more than $173,000 to at least consider whether or not they're going to get caught up by this alternative minimum tax. So I would just encourage you, if you're, you're having a, a large transaction this year in terms of selling a second, uh, you know, your cottage or your, your condominium, or if you're selling shares of your private company or 
a significant amount of shares or you've got a stock option deduction, just be careful. Go talk to your accountant because you may be paying tax when you didn't think you're going to have to pay tax this year. Great advice. Thanks for breaking it down. Appreciate your time, Daniel. You're very welcome. Thank you. Daniel Rogozinski, Master of Accounting Co-Director at the School of Accounting and Finance at the University of Waterloo. Mental health is something we should be talking about year-round as we now move into 2024. Let's make this a prosperous new year, but a successful new year when it comes to our mental health journey. Now, how does money tie into all of this to get the lowdown and perhaps get some tips and tricks and help? We're joined, as we always are every other week, Karen Gallagher-Burt with us, mental health advocate and social worker. Hello, my friend. Thank you for being in here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year and good morning. Let's talk about money and mental health. Boy, those two things, uh, they can be big separately, but they are even bigger when you join them together. Uh, they're bigger when you join them together, and they're bigger when you join them after a spending time of year, such right? as um, the holiday season when all of us, more is going out than is coming in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. So, okay, so how do we, like, how do we even tackle that? Because I'm sure if you have kids or grandkids, you probably overspent. It's just something we do. We want to make sure that they have the best Christmas ever, and, and now... We literally pay for it. Yeah. Did you talk to my daughter? Because there's no grandkids. So I'm like, <laughs> um, do you know, I think I think the hard part is, is that money is almost as much as sex and things like that is a taboo subject for lots of people. So true. And it causes so much emotion for many folks. And I think everybody talks about resolutions in January. I'm not a big fan myself, only because the, the language of resolution makes it an absolute, like a it's a black or white it's either one way or the other and i think you have to be a little kinder so for me in january it's kind of a reevaluation time it's take a look at and acknowledge where you actually did overspend pay attention to it you're going to feel guilty of some sort doesn't matter what faith you are guilt will break your way in that's true and then but then it's a matter of just being honest and and then saying okay what, do I, what can I do to mitigate this for however long you need to, if it's a credit card bill? But also, um, what habits can you sort of change gently to get yourself on track for some of these goals? And my big thing is about 80%. Goals are great to have, <laughs> but if you make it about, I want to get to 80% of that, that allows you that human failure. Some grace period, and, some well, grace, 100%. right? Yeah. yeah, so I think that's, for me, for January, about money. It's about being honest. I, and I think, you know, as I'm thinking about what you're saying, and, uh, you know, in my head, uh, sometimes we just like to put our head in the sand and and pretend that everything is just fine. And, and if you look at everybody's life on social media, life is perfect for everybody sure. else but you. And that's not not reality, right? No. So we can't bury our head in the sand, especially when it comes to money and finances. Yeah. So acknowledge that maybe there's a problem and seek out help because there's lots of free help for oh, so many yeah. things related to money. Yeah, there's a bunch of credit counseling groups available that are free and that are there to help you and not take advantage of you. Um, so for me, what's really critical is who are the experts that could help you with this? I would say make sure they're not someone too emotionally attached to mm-hmm. you because um You'll get some opinions and feelings. Yeah, and it's really hard. I mean, I've been with my partner 40 years and money of all the subjects is the touchiest one because both of us have never really had enough in lots of our times in our lives. Mm So we don't deal with it well. And acknowledging that and then saying, what are the parameters I need in order for me to feel like I have a good relationship with money? Yeah, and it's not something that provokes huge reaction. It should just be part. It should just be a currency um, in your life. Literally, 
Honestly, this doesn't make sense. Isn't it funny how it really it does it can it can provoke and evoke so much between people who love each other. Yep. And pe- between people who don't even know each other. I yeah. mean, it, it's uh, truly can be the root of all evil. And I think the f- I've noticed this with when I did some clinical work, I noticed that uh, couples particularly fought about five things. They fought about kids. They fought about chores, money, sex, and in-laws. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Um, so well, that covers it all. It does. That's it. So, and it's all about how you communicate. And I think a relate. You have a relationship with money. Yeah. And you need to acknowledge that relationship exists and, instead of hiding it. Yeah. And and come to some sort of an agreement because you really do need to be verbal about it because not everybody feels the same way. Yep. You know that was a big bone of contention with my ex. Is mm-hmm. you know I've got a job. I I make my own money. I like clothes and I like shoes and I like to buy things occasionally. Yeah. And I would have to hide them. Yep. Because I would get in trouble when I got home. Exactly. No adult wants to feel like they're going to get in trouble when they get home. And so that's just a small example. And I know a lot of my friends are the same way because we've talked about it. So you have to be able to sort of, even if you don't agree, you've got to come to some sort of agreement. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, because it is, it's a tough one and it is so caught up in so many layers of emotions is, uh, you know, if one partner is a saver and the other partner is a spender, look out. Um, it's a tough one yeah. and having those conversations, well, you and I doing weddings, I always say that before the wedding, that most important thing is not that day. Yeah. The important thing is the marriage, not the wedding mm-hmm. and how much time have you spent planning that and how much money do you invest in that versus the wedding, it's so which true. I'm trying to beating us both for having clients but (laughs) (laughs) it's true though but it's true and 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 that can have an effect on your mental health you know when you're scared to go home with something you bought that has an effect on your mental health when you when you are worried your your you know your partner's going to blow up at you yeah for something that shouldn't yeah that has an effect on your mental health so the boy it it really translates down the line well and even if it's not a blow up for me i'd rather have a blow up because i have a husband that's so calm and Mm. so cool i'd rather him yell at me once in a while um which he never has wow because i would feel better yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like you repeat the parent patterns right so true um and some and he won't ever comply with that god love the man um you know so many years later it's a good thing it's a good thing but i mean the reality is is that it's my problem problem and I need to deal with my money right and then the two of us have to decide what our relationship is with that when, when we call or, or text or you know chat with folks at the distress center for example distresscenter.com and that phone number again 266 help always available for you I mean, will they talk about things like finances yeah not, not obviously the dollar value yeah. but just how to deal with yeah oh absolutely any and all problems any and all problems and that's the cool part and I mean money is a huge one we have lots of folks um, that have issues, say, with gambling that are highly suicidal because it's taken them down a path where mm. they feel there's no alternative. So those calls definitely come in. And I think it's, um, I think money is one of the last shameful things that we have because no matter how we deal with it, if we have lots, we feel embarrassed and ashamed. We if have we don't none. have enough, we feel embarrassed and ashamed. And everything in between. And everything in between. So it is, it's a big one. And having healthy conversations, it's a game changer. So this, this month, have the healthy conversation with yourself. Fair. Um, you don't have to bring anyone else in, but for yourself, do whatever it works for you. If you're an Excel gal or guy, put it down on an Excel sheet and take a look at it. I'm a paper person. I have to write it down mm-hmm. and look at it. And then I'll feel my shame. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll then I'll make a decision on how to deal with it. Right. First world privilege. My shame is, oh gosh, I might have to carry the credit card for a few months. Right. The, um, that's first world privilege, but it's still there. <coughs> deal with it. 
don't bury your head in the sand. Yeah. Let's Get make let's make 2024 just a great year for everybody, for our mental health, for our physical health, and this is a great way to start. So distresscenter.com, and again, 403-266-HELP. That's the phone number. Thank you so much for coming in. Ah, anytime for you. Happy New Year. Cheers. Karen Gallagher-Burt, mental health advocate and social worker at the Distress Centre.